0: Well, shall we start? We're a little early, but is it okay with you all if we start? Yeah? Okay, let's do that. God be with you. you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the life and witness and story of Polly Murray. Thank you for all that she brings to us and to the church, and for Julie Cohen and the filmmakers and storytellers and historians that bring her life to us today. Amen. Amen. So today, we are in part three of our Polly Murray Thing that we got to do. So I talked about Polly Murray a bit last week. Um, those of you that hadn't seen the film got to watch it last week. Some here, some on your own. Thank you for doing that. And today we have the director um, of the film about Polly Murray here to tell us about that process. So part of what we did last week um, is I tried to talk a little bit about what you might or might not. It's not. It's. Her life as an episcopal priest is not the focus of the film necessarily because she did so much in her life um, so this is this is about the film. This is for Julie to tell us about how she discovered Polly Murray and how they put this um, work together and what she's learned in that and then for you all to ask her questions um you know part of the course of making a film is you become an expert on the topic um so we We have an expert on the topic that can speak to that both culturally, historically, um, and as an artist and filmmaker. So Julie, welcome. I guess Julie, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And so we're watching you from, and in conversation with you, from Bud Hall, which is the parish hall at St. Luke's Church in Atlanta. Um, There's a big race, there's a marathon that the grocery store chain is hosting through our neighborhood, and it's pouring rain outside, and yet this room is filled with people eager to hear you. So I don't know if you can see that, but um, there's not a lot much more we can there aren't many more people we could have in here and still be somewhat reasonably COVID safe. Um, so this is this is great. And it's a strong response to Pauli Murray and to your work. So thank you for being here with us. It's an honor to be here. So can I start, I'll start with a question. Um, there's a microphone right there. I've got some questions, but this is really your conversation as well. So after I do my first one, just come, Come on up and ask her the questions you've got. All right. So, my so um, my starting question is: Tell me how you encountered Polly Murray. How would you meet her, and how did this film come about? Come
1: about.
2: Yes. Um, well, we came to Polly Murray. It's you know, it's an unusual experience actually to be making a documentary about someone who had already been gone for 35 years before we started the the process, and also somebody somebody who. Uh, Frankly, unlike some of the figures that you might make a biographical documentary about, isn't uh, someone that we learn about in school or a current contemporary uh, pop cultural figure in the way that the subjects of some of the other films that I've worked on um, have been. Uh, My directing partner, uh, Betsy West and I actually learned about Pauli Murray towards the end of the process of our Making the documentary RBG about Justice Ginsburg, um, which uh, came out in in 2018, and which we were, as we were finishing up the editing process in 2017, um, we became aware of the fact that uh, Justice Ginsburg had put Pauli Murray's name on the first brief that she ever wrote for the Supreme Court in a case. Uh, making the, at the time, and the time being 1971, very radical argument that women should be covered under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Um, Justice RBG put Polly Murray's name uh, on that brief as a co-author, not because Polly had literally worked on that case, but as a um, hat tip, as uh, is the social car, the current social media way of, of saying it, to the, a person who had really developed this idea prior to uh, to mm-hmm. Justice Ginsburg, um, and through the process of. Um, putting our RBG film out in the world, you do so many conversations with people all around the country, conversations uh, like, like this. And it was really more through those conversations where we found people sometimes asking us, oh, whose shoulders did R.B.G. stand on, and Polly Murray, of course, is one of the answers to that question. And it led us through really the Q and A process to start doing a little bit more research and start Googling, like who is this? Um, we uh, knew that this was a black woman, or I'll now say woman-identified uh, lawyer, um, you know, from 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 the 20th century, but we really weren't aware of the vast array of uh, accomplishments of paulie's that i don't want to say that we lay out in the film i want to say that like we touch on a few of them in the film because this is somebody for whom the scope of accomplishments is so wide and deep and high like every dimension yeah. that actually it's kind of impossible it would have been impossible to fit it all into one documentary that, you know, f- feels like a coherent story. And I appreciate being called an, an expert on Polly Murray, but I think I would have to uh, I would have to dispute it because um, you almost need, uh, I think, a, a higher degree of expertise in 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 history or in academics to understand the full scope of Polly Murray. I think I, I do have. You know, uh, 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 there are sort of slices of Polly's life that one can understand. Um, I have some legal background, so I understand some of the legal stuff. I know a fair amount about the history of the women's movement, so I understand that. But like understanding the full scope of Polly's contributions to civil rights, understanding Polly's literature and poetry, which is so expansive, and then of course relevant to a Sunday morning talk in a church today. Um, everything that Polly contributed to spirituality and theology is another whole scope of expertise yeah. that I do not have. So, which is all to say we learned about this spectacular person, um, teamed up with um, the film's producer, Talia Bridges McMahon and the editor, Cinque Northern and the four of us uh, kind of delved in to Pauli's archives because the real driving force interestingly for this film about Polly murray is Polly murray who had had the foresight as in so many other areas to just save everything not only you know boxes and boxes 141 boxes of, of writings and notes and uh di- diary entries and drafts of legal briefs um but all uh, but on top of that more than 800 photographs going back to an era where people weren't taking a lot of photographs let alone saving them like there were lots of photos uh from the night i wouldn't say lots but there were there were photos from the 1920s and even 1910s in the archive then there were 40 hours of audio taped uh interviews and oral histories um we later found in another archive uh the audio taped reading of Paulie, uh reading the autobiography song in a weary throat um, and we found even some videos so Polly had the thought in life that history was going to be very interested in all of the uh, all of the Polly Murray yeah. works even if yeah. the current day was less interested and we even learned from our consulting producer uh, Patricia Bell Scott who is uh, an Atlantan oh. um, herself that Paulie had the idea in mind um that a film would someday there would there would be a Murray film made someday so um the materials were all there to tell to tell the story and that that's why we uh you know we're excited to do it
0: well and and to that point because patricia bell scott if i remember correctly is her first biographer is that right
2: um you know, I don't want to say first because okay. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, you know, there have been uh, – uh, Patricia Bell Scott and Polly Murray knew each other um, by letters anyway, by correspondence going back to the late 70s, I believe, certainly the 80s. And uh, Patricia Bell Scott uh, is, uh, is the author and uh, uh, University of – Georgia uh, emeritus uh, professor who wrote a book called The Firebrand and the First Lady about the, it's kind of a dual, a dual biography of Polly Murray and Eleanor Roosevelt and the places at which their fascinating lives intersected.
0: Right. So, so to the the point that you've just made that Polly Murray seemed to know that she was she knew she was a historical figure. Can, can you say some more about that? Because I just find that shocking um, for someone who isn't in elected office or something like that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think really what distinguishes Pauli Murray's work in so many different areas and ties it all together is this incredible foresight. Um, and you know understanding what legal ideas might come into play and what and might make sense maybe 10 or 20 years later um that after the time that polly is having them understanding even in in literature the the family history that that polly wrote called proud shoes which i encourage everyone to go order um and read for yourselves because it's really an extraordinary book but it really uh it's, it's really foreshadows so much of the kind of memoir writing and nonfiction writing that would become popular later. This was published in the late 50s um, and actually was quite well reviewed at the time it came out. I don't want to say it was a massive bestseller. It wasn't, but it was put out by a major publisher and got got plenty of attention. But Polly was writing uh, a family history, was writing nonfiction to read like a novel at a time that most authors, people just weren't really doing that yet. And it's like heavily researched but really told as a narrative anyway so paulie has all this foresight in all these different areas and i think one of the one of the foresight had to do with a certain kind of self-awareness um, of you know there are ideas whose time has come and there are ideas whose time has yet to come and paulie's ideas and paulie's life story were of the kind of we're, were just full of ideas whose time hadn't yet come, but was going to come soon. So that was, that was I think, the uh, very thoughtful process behind saving everything for later scholars, writers, students, and even filmmakers to pour over.
1: So
0: I have wondered this in looking over her books or autobiography, were there other... Were people like this at that time? Or was she as unique as she appears to be? Did people feel, was that a moment, in, was that a time in history in this country where, where people were far forward from where we were? Or is she really as unique as she seems to be?
2: Yeah, you know, I think possibly one of the lessons that we think of the film is that Pauli Murray was not as unique as um, this figure might, might appear to be because i mean i polly Paul, was unique uh, there was like a, a level of of intellect and kind of like just a quantitative level of output in so many different fields that certainly is unusual if not unique but in terms of having ideas that are way ahead of the curve both intellectual legal ideas literary ideas and activist uh activist ideas i think that's an area where polly isn't unique polly Paulie, for the you know even some of the things that Paulie is credited for, we we were pretty careful not to use the word first in the film Mm -hmm. because uh, you know the the interesting story of Paulie getting arrested um, for sitting in the front of a bus in 1940, you know, uh, 15 years before the much more famous uh, Rosa Parks case, is. It tells us something about Polly's character and willingness to do something, and you know, being ahead of the time that it's recognized. But that was like so far from from unique. Um, you know, Black Americans in the South were protesting segregation in transportation, education, and housing from the time that segregation laws were imposed. I mean, it's 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 just, and in fact if one looks at the black press of the era, um, one will see that while the New York Times may not have been covering uh, these protests, the black press were, were, was covering these protests heavily and they were happening actually quite frequently. It's just that people didn't want to hear about it. Like this wasn't a protest. And, and of course, you know, in the case of the Rosa Parks protest, that was a very planned out, you know, there, there was a whole movement that surrounded it. So, you know, there was a there was a thought out you know, publicity campaign to bring this to the fore as an important activist uh movement and so that's how that that became a moment but I think you I think you can find an even you know, Polly Murray's innovative legal ideas. I don't want to say that nobody had come up with those previously, Um, It's just that Paulie was having the ideas much earlier than they're famous for being having, and Paulie was having ideas in so many different areas that um, certainly this is an extraordinary person, if not entirely unique in in each area.
0: If anything, right, it, it critiques how we hear about history right, that, that there's the moment in history that we hear about when the change got made, but there's the 50 right. years before, the 100 years before of movements of regular people understanding that, that there's a problem and there's a solution, right, and trying to work right. towards that. So one, one example would be that the Brown versus Board of Education case, like one of the reasons that came forward is the dean of the law school at Howard, with intention was, put, was drawing people into the law school at Howard to work on um, what became the thesis for that case. Like they worked on that for, I want to say for decades, if that's not—I think that's right. I think it was decades that he was doing that. What's interesting about him is he didn't like Polly Murray, um, which I heard very like some very personal stories. He didn't like Polly Murray, but she was she 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 was not recruited to be there. She decided she would be there.
2: Right, right. And you know, I think being not only being a, a woman, um, where at a time that women were not particularly welcome, um in law schools or any other graduate program for that matter. But also Polly was a little bit older than your usual student. Polly had actually a tremendous sense of intellectual self-assurance that would lead to, you know, speaking out in class at a time that the professor may not have wanted to, to be challenged. So I mean, I think you'll find, I mean, I even have an example from from uh, seminary days that I can talk about later, like Pauline was not always making friends you know, in all locations, and you know sometimes, sometimes speaking up for what you know to be right isn't really the best way to make friends. Um,
0: One of my um, when I got to uh, St. Mark's and found out that she had been on the vestry of St. Mark's, she was the first woman on the vestry of St. Mark's in the Bowery. I was really excited, and so I started to ask people about Pauline Murray. I was like, you all must have known Pauline Murray, and everyone said tight-lipped. Yes. <laughs> And it was a yes, gracious well, church.
2: You know, yes, our, yes, RBG's, RBG's way, of pu- way of putting that, um, you know, was like, well, Polly was very <laughs> feisty. And <laughs> he was willing to say things that maybe people didn't want to hear. Um, you know, and I think it, you know, for for Polly's more thoughtful contemporaries and colleagues in a variety of different circumstances I think there was a possibility to really admire this person without necessarily you know p- with, 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 with some complicated feelings of like oh are we gonna have another uh, argument at the board meeting you know is that you know uh, enough enough of this already um, but you yes. know, Paul is just not one to sit quietly.
0: Right. With, so with all of my, because I'm such a fan of asking around in Manhattan, I've yet to meet a person who um, spoke of her as a, a, a friend, which I found fascinating. So, um, so Julie, one of the gifts of having you here is, so I'm curious um, if in your work you found a, a spiritual or religious thread throughout her life, or multiple.
2: Yes. I mean, I certainly, I certainly would say, and again, like, you know, there were so many threads of story that we were trying to, to build into, into, you know, make one narrative that we didn't get heavily into the um, religious, spiritual side of things beyond making it clear that of course, this is someone who went to church every Sunday as a child, but um, we really followed that, um, from Pauli when it became uh, central um, in the 1970s. But yes, um, I think spirituality was a thread and a touchstone all along and actually, you know, despite some c- conflict with the actual official church apparatus, like it was one area where Pauli didn't have a lot of uh, push and pull exactly like P- Pauli's feelings towards the church, just like Polly's feelings to Aunt Pauline, and I don't think it's coincidence, like Aunt Pauline was the person after all bringing Polly to church. Like those feelings were actually not complicated. They were more like a lot of love. Um, Polly was certainly frustrated with the church's view, uh, particularly towards um, women, uh, a a woman standing in the position that you're standing uh, today, and that made Polly and Rini and uh, others in their circle angry enough that you know that it that it created some friction with church hierarchies. But like as far as feelings towards uh, the Episcopal Church and Christianity um, and the d- spiritual teachings, that's not something that Polly turned away from in times of doubt. There certainly are references uh, to the Bible throughout. There are things that Polly writes in in the autobiography song in a weary throat that um some of the most beautiful quotes are actually paraphrases from the new testament i'm jewish so i wasn't aware of that but i found myself at various q a's i'll quote something i might want i'd love to end this by quoting by quoting one and someone gave me a reference for where it actually comes from in the in the bible although Polly isn't it's not yeah. A literal, you know, yeah. it's like a it's like a reference that you know it's yeah. like sampling that that I think anyone who grew up in the church would probably know. I, but um, th- there are uh, spiritual ideas threaded throughout Polly's work.
0: I think I might have told you this once that I when I came to St. Mark's, they gave me a, a Polly Murray file. It's very thin file, and it had some oh. angry letters to leadership in the church. It was great, all kinds mm-hmm. of things in it. But one of the things in it, it was so tender is it was the the funeral leaflet for Weenie Barlow's funeral and it had a, a a little the obit clip in there and it had some notes um so it was her it was her um copy of the program so can can you tell us what tell us about uh, uh, renee Barlow and Polly Murray and how 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 do, what do we know
2: yeah. yeah yeah well you know it's a pretty beautiful love story that started in the late 50s while Polly was an associate at Paul Weiss, the big uh, corporate law firm in New York, and Reney was the office manager. Um, Reney was white and an immigrant from uh, England um, and felt uh, like something of an outsider um, in, all, in all kinds of ways, and that's by their own description kind of what drew them together that and religion and the fact that they were both serious and practicing episcopals. so um you know we we liked and we you know we included that scene in the movie where they're You know sitting they go out to what's supposed to be a business lunch and somebody makes a reference to the book of common prayer and like then it's all like the sparks are flying like it's a very uh (laughs) it's a very it's a very sweet um reference to chemistry uh between between people this is not a relationship that was it's, it's almost hard to describe actually i think in in a modern context what a um a gay relationship that started in the fifties and went to the mid seventies when Rini died was like because in a way, like I, th- I think, closeted would be unfair because those that were around these two and were closest to them absolutely understood that they were a romantic couple even if nobody ever said that. Um, they never had the literally had the same residence. They always each had their own home, but that said, they spent a lot of time living under the same under the same roof. Polly helped care for Rini's mother when she was dying, and then for Rini herself um, when when she had cancer. um, And you know was obviously devastated by the the loss. I mean, one you know we each kind of the the archive was so big that we broke up various parts of it. But the one of the parts that I actually did do that was the one doing the digging into was all I I, all of the letters between uh, Rini and Polly that are in the archive. I think I read all of them. Um, and they were I mean romantic isn't quite the word because there weren't like these sweeping they weren't like they were very much involved to going through the mundane details of of life that made it very clear that they were a 100- hundred. Hundred percent immersed in one another's lives. I mean, when we were choosing how to put that together in the in the film, which was difficult because there weren't, unlike all the audio tapes, there weren't audios of them talking about how much they loved each other, or nor could we find a photo of the two of them together. Um, huh. But. Wow. Uh, but what made wow. the letters, what, what, what was most noticeable, notable is that they were all like always calling themselves by nicknames and the nicknames were constantly evolving. So we, we chose to uh, focus um, quite a bit on that, including Renee calling herself uh, 007 numerous times. Like that was always, that was on a lot of the letters, which we took to be, and even somebody, somebody even, uh, Paul even said Jane, Jane Bond. At a, at a certain <laughs> point. And, you know uh, to, to me the idea seemed fa- fairly clear that there's a little bit of like sub subterfuge here in in our relationship but that there's something kind of cool and sexy about that subterfuge like that's what I take it to mean yeah. we, for, we we didn't we didn't explain it in the film but we included it enough that you know we we thought that that viewers could draw their own conclusions um you know it's both beautiful but poignant as you know as paulie said at at related to Rini's funeral like that you know you've all lost a friend i've lost my whole life here and it was that loss that moved Polly to do something i think paulie had probably been thinking about for for many decades which was moving more concretely towards the church
0: so I didn't know this until um, I heard this from you. So I, I, hadn't, I had not understood that, that Rini's death was the reason or one of the reasons that she went to seminary. I just assumed it was about the timing of the ordination, the movement for the ordination of women in the Episcopal Church. So can you say, say more about what, what, what you think took her in that direction? That direction?
2: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I do yeah. think the the thought that that might have been opening up was part of it. But, you know, remember when Polly started in seminary, that decision had not yet been made. It was yeah. not clear yeah. that it was going to be possible to be ordained um, as a woman. And Polly just jumped ahead because, again, I think Polly kind of was reading the writing on the wall and thinking that that was going to happen. So, um, you know, basically, I think... The way that Paulie described it in in a few fairly serious writings, again, Paulie for the most part wasn't saying this was my lover. Paulie was saying this was my best friend who died. But it but it led it it, it created a crisis of faith for me. It did make me think like where are we really? going how have my efforts both on legislation which Polly did work on i think we talk about that a little less in the film actually but Polly did some lobbying for legislation um for uh equal rights both racial and gender and um and uh, in the through the legal front for court cases and Polly was kind of like where's this all really you know where's this really going um Polly's feelings towards Martin Luther King were actually very complicated in a whole variety of ways, but following um King's death, I think Polly was very much thinking that uh, a, a sort of a bigger picture uh, embrace of reconciliation between the races. And I think maybe Polly would add between genders is 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 the way to go, and that ultimately that all stems from the big the big questions also getting older made polly think more about mortality by you know by many descriptions in the autobiography and that sort of led to um led naturally in polly's view towards back to the church
0: i'll do one more and then i'll let you all ask a question i could do this forever i'm so like you could i'm very excited by this conversation um so when there, i'll put two things together that might not fit together but i'd love to hear what you think um so you know Polly Murray celebrated Eucharist. I think it was her first, but if not her first, within that first year that she was ordained at Chapel of the Cross, which is where her one of her great-grandmothers, I think, not or grand, was.
2: Uh, I believe her grandmother her was grandmother. her where her where her grandmother came as a child.
0: Right. So her grandmother was baptized there. Person, and she, right. Someone's got the story right is it Horace. Someone's got the story correct. Yeah. Right. So so she celebrates Eucharist at that altar, and so for you know. For Episcopalians, like, those are two very embodied services and a pretty powerful act of reconciliation, frankly, right at that altar, that she becomes the priest at that altar. Um, and in her body, right, with, within which she struggles and struggles very publicly around her own gender. Or not publicly, but publicly for us because we can read the letters right, around um, right. her gender identity. So I've, I just find that, I've, I find it so moving. Um, one, that that body is ordained that body um, becomes a site of sacrament for us and that she goes back to that place. Um, can, uh, so for, for someone who's not an Episcopalian, how did, like, what did, what did all, you know, how, can you say something about all those things? Pauline yeah, Murray, well, her body, funny, the yeah, other body, so the You're coming
2: to that from your religious background to us, that part of the film so much stemmed from the footage um, that we were fortunate to have. It was like, uh uh it was really the only color footage that we had of Polly the um the shots that are also of Polly visiting the childhood home and walking you know walking one of the many uh Polly's collection of beloved dogs are all from that same day from that same shoot mm-hmm. um and what came through to us in that footage is exactly what Polly's grandniece Karen Ross um is saying at the time is what, what had changed person this is i mean you know you've described people and i also you know we also connected with various people including members of police own family who talked about someone who could be pretty difficult pretty bristly i think is maybe a, a word that i would use but yet on that sunday like the hugs with strangers um you know the white North Carolinians in the 1970s who perhaps are relatives of, you know, the enslavers of of Polly's family. Complicated, of course, because Polly's own own relatives were actually on on both on both sides of, uh, you know, were both slave owners and and the enslaved. Um, but like the genuine warmth of those hugs and like the the like just like the beaming you know how how deeply Polly seems to be feeling that experience like read as very loving and sort of spiritually beautiful in you know in exactly the way that you can imagine the the most intense words of christian theology about you know, turning the other cheek and loving your brother and embracing uh, I- I- embracing all for the good of you know to glory to, to for the glory of God. I mean, it's like all it just it just felt like it's all really there. and to me, it felt like a very spiritual moment, whether you want to think of that as theological or just you know, in a humane kind of way or you know, probably preferably both and I feel I feel like you could just see it on on Polly's face
0: yeah yeah she's glowing yeah that she was a priest I yeah. can, can I you have to come to the microphone so people on the video can if you don't mind oh yeah no one can hear you this one? yes this one is great and there's a camera right there so yeah this is Pat Merchant, Hi. who was among the, the first women ordained in the Episcopal Church um, and, and knew Polly Murray, or had met, met Polly Murray.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I met her and I, I kind of watched her, you know, <laughs> I mean, really. But she, um, she came on the scene just as we were all being ordained, which was in the, um, 1977, the, the, right after, uh, in January. It's, I don't know the exact date, but she was ordained in the first two weeks of January, I know. January 8th. January. Well, that's close. Thank yeah, you. That's my
0: ordination anniversary too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, but I, all I remember is that when I went to North Carolina, I was a group of women there. Um, all I could remember was she just she looked like she. You know, we have a, um, a, a, a a very repetitive story in our tradition of the Transfiguration, where Jesus goes with his disciples and they all turn white and. And they're just transformed. And it reminded when I look at your movie, that's what she seemed to be like to me. Like she just shone, and all the bitterness and anger and a lot of frustration just fell away from her. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't physically see it in her body. At least, you know, maybe I was projecting, but I, I felt that. That mm-hmm. you know, and it, it made me feel, because I had worked for seven years to make sure the Episcopal Church ordained women, it gave me a huge sense of grace that I could actually have done something that helped that woman in her journey. Mm. So that was a gift that you gave me, and I'm very appreciative of it. Mm. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Pat. <laughs> Are there other questions or comments? Um, come to the microphone, please. I know we're not shy. Neil, yeah.
3: <clears throat> Thank you very much for what you've done. This is just fantastic for us, especially me, since I had never heard of her and now I'm thinking it's like a household word to Patty and me, my my Patty, do people of destiny or speak to us about people who have a sense of destiny, which I think I got that she had portrayed in all the pictures that I remember seeing of her, she always has this smile on her face, but I feel also a sense of her being unfulfilled and maybe not a happy person, Is that true of many people of destiny like King and others who have done so much and yet felt unfulfilled and yet knew they were on the right path, trying to portray happiness and fulfillment and on the other hand, maybe not really feeling that?
2: It's a really interesting question. I'm not, I don't think I can generally answer it. I would say from having spoken with a lot of friends of Polly's and family members as well as reading so much material certainly there was a lot of frustration and sadness in Polly's life at the same time there was a fair amount of joy and as far as all of the things for society that Polly was working towards Polly's main position on all of that was just like a relentless unstoppable optimism like where where and um you know i i think i think you can probably i think you could move that towards a lot of historical figures who are pushing for things that feel out of reach in their lifetime i mean kind of the two that come to mind as well as uh dr king would also be gandhi like be like in in situations where one has nothing one one might one might appear to have very little to be optimistic about these are people that found a way to somewhere within themselves come to a place of of optimism and of a sort of certainty that one day you know we're going to get get to where we're going the promised land or or otherwise um I guess because if you, if you stepped back and thought, this isn't going to work, how, how would you wake up every morning and continue doing the difficult and, in these cases, actually very, very d- dangerous work that's that's required?
0: Well, we we'll wait for the next person to come up. Um, this is probably just timely. Pauli Murray wrote a letter, I can't remember to who, but you will remember, um, laying out her uh, qualifications to serve on the Supreme Court. Um, yes, it was
4: to Richard Nixon, actually. That's what I thought. It was
0: to Nixon. <laughs> she was as qualified as Thurgood Marshall, basically. I mean, yeah, tell us about that.
4: Yeah,
2: you know, I would recommend people... I've been meaning to, to look it up because obviously it feels very pertinent uh, yeah. this week. Um, you know, the tone of the letter was kind of like, you know, why not me? Like, let me introduce yeah. myself and explain why no, I would no. be a good Supreme Court justice. Excellent. I am. I am not... I do not think that um Pauly was uh, despite what i'm just saying about relentless i was was expecting or even trying to be nominated i think Polly was trying to make a point the tone of the letter is pretty um taking a poke at nixon i mean there there were there were you know many many reasons bes- beside uh race gender and not a being having been um you know a, 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 a practicing attorney not being a practicing attorney for, for many years let, let alone a judge but never mind that i mean just po- politically like this this you know paulie was not going to be an, a nixon appointee but was trying to make a larger point like everything that paulie wrote in the, these confrontation by typewriter uh moments it is not only uh beautifully crafted but also really fun to read so um, and and uh, I, I forget whether that letter got published anywhere. It probably did. But I think it, it, it reads like a letter that's really more meant for, for, for publication and to lead people to consider like, why aren't we thinking of a candidate like, like Pauli Murray as the, as the right person for a position like Supreme Court justice?
0: Yes, yeah, I, I, I've seen um, it shared because of the, the recent nomination um, and it, it's fantastic. All of her correspondence is fantastic. It's just, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there other questions or comments? You want to come up? Or do you want me to say it if you want to repeat it?
1: ordination sermon in the early 80s before she died. What day did she? When did she die? That I don't know. Well, anyway, well, Reagan was president. He yes, And Reagan she was. was she he was shot. And she wrote him a letter saying, and this is when I just fell out and loved her from my soul. She she told him that he was going to go to hell because, <laughs> and I thought, Polly. You know, I'm sure the FBI was all, I mean, but this letter was so extraordinary. I mean, I used it in my sermon. You could hear the congregation pin drop, you know, that, that somebody would write a letter to the president saying, you know, you're going to hell, and that's why that person tried to shoot you. And, you know, and I thought, I mean, I have been in a lot of trouble myself over the West, but I had never said any, well, maybe I shouldn't say never, but, I, 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 you know, I knew that was sort of a, you know, a line where you just don't mess with this. Anyway, I just wondered if you'd ever heard that story.
2: No, I was not aware of that, le- of that letter. Actually, and I'm not sure that it's in. I'm not sure that it's in the archive. Interestingly, because Polly often would make would make carbon copies of letters that be- being sent out, not only letters received. So you can really see everything that Polly was writing. Just like when a journalist came to interview Polly. A tape recorder would come out. Polly would bring out a tape recorder also everything was double recorded, which is how it came to be that other people 's interviews of Polly end up in in the
1: archive. Nancy Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for your film. We really enjoyed it. Two questions i 'd love to hear more about her relationship with her remarkable aunt, who just sounded like such an amazing force in her life. And the other part the poignant part that just hurt my heart was her struggle over her gender. And do you think she talked with her I know she mm-hmm. went to so many medical doctors but did she talk to her aunt about that? And That's a great question. I'd yes. love to hear more about Aunt Pauline. Thank you.
2: Yes. So so yeah, so Aunt Pauline was I, I would argue kind of the main force in Paulie's life really um even even after her death, um even after Aunt Pauline's death because of you know that that's what, you know, someone whose childhood was so difficult, you know, losing losing both parents before age age five, you know, mom passing away, um being taken away from dad who was struggling with his mental health and ultimately was institutionalized and then ultimately was murdered in uh in a in a mental institution by a guard, an incredibly harrowing and and horrifying story. Um but Having this mother figure and ultimately adoptive mother, because Aunt Pauline did legally adopt Polly, um, who was so full of love, guidance, education, and acceptance um, at a time when, you know, and was just, just, just under, seemed to like innately understand Polly's gender nonconformity into childhood. And called Polly my little boy girl or my little girl boy like that's you know th- that was just the code language they used and yes um, you know we ended up focusing because we were in a difficult position on the gender identity questions for the film because nothing was set. there was no one who could speak about it who had been alive and there were um, there was nothing in the in the audio tapes about it what there were were letters and we found the most powerful letters to be between the direct letters from Polly to doctors. but yes, there also were letters back and forth between Polly and uh, Aunt Pauline about the whole situation where where Polly is describing to Aunt Pauline like I've seen doctors, they say they can't help me like you know when they did their surgery, um, you know again, it was another area where Polly was doing so much research. Remember, there's not Google then, so how Polly was becoming aware, yeah. which was correct that that, that 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 testosterone was beginning to was to be used for medical purposes, and Polly's thinking like, hey, like maybe t- testosterone would help me out. Yeah. An idea when Pauly's first writing this, and I think like the late thirties that would have seemed nuts to most people, yeah. which of course now. If you were a trans man, that's what exactly what a doctor would prescribe. Like that would have been part of the path. Polly also was wondering if perhaps she were an intersex. Yeah. Um, you know, had had literal chromosomal and uh, and anatomical features of both male and female. Something that really was unheard of at the day, but but is a correct medical thing and would have been something that I think you know the the a doctor ruled out one particular. Um, strand of intersex I think it's not impossible that Paulie could have been correct about like who, who knows um but the but but yes Polly and Aunt pauline were corresponding um about that issue with Aunt pauline trying to always be a calming force saying like you know whoever you are is fine as long as you find some acceptance I mean which isn't just des- I don't want to go too far and Paul, Pauline was not like oh why don't you talk about you know your uh non-conforming gender feeling like that's your next speech like it was understood that this was a secret um but the two of them were absolutely talking about it
5: I just have a, uh, two quick questions um you may not be able to to answer them directly from your work but first thank you for your extraordinary documentary because for queer people of color, mm-hmm. there's so much of history that we don't have. I didn't grow up hearing about Polymer. I actually didn't know about her until last Sunday. right? Mm-hmm. And um, my first question is, um, do you think there was some level of intentionality mm-hmm. that, around, uh, surrounding her sexuality that pushes her mm-hmm. and Bayard Rustin and, and those to the fringes of history? right, that it's some shame around that within our own African-American community that we don't celebrate them as much. And my second question is, do you know through her, her papers, did she have any co- collection of friends that were also in similar situations like Lorraine Hansberry or Langston Hughes who also had, you know, uh, were either gay or binary. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are a, a, those are, those, are, those
2: are those are really interesting questions um and that and you're just making me you're just giving me a thought because Polly was was friends or or did correspond with Langston Hughes um and yet I don't believe that those correspondences are in the archive or if they are I don't remember seeing them and they're huh. basically they ha- so it is you know Polly as as we were talking about before sort of curated what was in that archive so it's possible that those that those conversations did happen and we just haven't seen them because they're not part of the public record but as to your first point I agree I absolutely think that one poignant reason that Polly isn't as well known as would certainly appear to be warranted is the fact that in, in, there were circumstances in which Polly was keeping a lower profile because um, had even the secret of a romantic relationship with Rainey Barlow been public, that could have been that, that could have been a big problem for Polly's career. And in fact, when um, when Polly didn't get into the University of North Carolina in 1938 and wanted to challenge the university, uh, Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund wouldn't take the case, saying in Pauly's words, you know, that she wasn't, quote, Simon Pure. It's not clear what was meant by that. Was it because of her sort of unusual presentation? Was it because they understood her to be gay or or because, uh, uh, you know... Sometimes Pauli was presenting as a man, and there are pictures that that show that, even if that's not... like, Or there were some associations, because Pauli had been involved in the labor movement, where there was certainly, you could have found associates who were connected to the Communist Party. So a lot of things could have been meant, but it could well have been that um, the NAACP and other branches of the civil rights movement were... Concerned by like th- this is not the right uh, this is not the right plaintiff because what if everybody you know what what like we're we're trying to appeal to the establishment and it's not going to help if we have an LGBTQ not that those would have been the words at the time uh, person who we're pushing forward. Yeah
4: I'd like to follow up the uh, last question with a question about acts and omission of com- of commemoration and. I'm hopeful uh, you have some uh, thoughts on this considering you've been immersed in this process of research and you've been deciding what to stitch in and and what unfortunately you would have to leave out uh, of the documentary. So many different avenues uh, were explored by Reverend Murray and she was an an advocate and a pioneer in so many different ways and those different fields are starting to uh, decide how to commemorate her on their own. The the church, uh, uh, the legal field, Yale University, places like that. Uh, and, you know, for good reason, sometimes they focus in on one aspect of her life that resonates in particular with them. But at the same time, they underplay or maybe omit substantially other aspects of her life. And, for example, I have some LGBTQ friends who are very upset with the way the Episcopal Church has gone mm-hmm. about uh, being relatively silent about her gender nonconformity and how that gets uh, celebrated as part of who she was and what she did. And uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how we try to tell her story, even if we're focusing on her her role as a priest or uh, in that kind of context.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a difficult question. I think the best route would be to take a page from Polly's playbook and go for you know, broadness and inclusivity. And, you know, Polly had the phrase, like when my brothers draw a circle to exclude me, I draw a bigger circle to include kind of all of us. And there are, you know, it's beautiful that so many different groups want to claim Polly. Um, Sometimes really, unfortunately, in my view, that leads to like these weird fights between people who were saying like, oh, you know, in some cases, uh, uh, lesbians wanting to appreciate Polly as a lesbian feminist versus others saying, "No, this wasn't a lesbian. This was a trans man," and and it just feels like, oh, shouldn't we all be like, should, shouldn't we all be like, it? shouldn't 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 this be shouldn't this intellectual argument be the equivalent of the embraces that Polly is giving? uh the 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 church members um back in the seventies like isn't isn't that the way to celebrate the legacy and can't each group whether it's the church or the women's movement or the civil rights movement or the LGBTQ movement can't can't we all be embracing poly and using it as an opportunity to come together and think bigger
0: that's well helped me to um, thank Julie Cohen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, draw the circle wider. Um, I think we can stick with that. Um, thank you all, everyone. And we'll, we'll do a lot more on Polymer. We haven't even begun to touch the topic. Thank you, and thank you for the, for the fine film. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, it was great, to, great to meet you.